Looking for a better way to connect to your Kickstarter audience? Looking for videos to reach out and inform your followers what exactly is going on, fulfilling campaigns, or you know, just creating content to interact with? I'm your guy. If you're an author looking to make something, a dynamic video to reach out and actually reach your Kickstarter followers, whether it's offering a cool reward, whether it's answering mail, whether it's whatever you can imagine, I can be there to help you. Check out my Kickstarter services in the description below. The quarter is on good, so let's just finish this shot and again. That's cool with you. Yeah. So, I'm with Brent Nichols, and we are in this mysterious, mysterious marsh. There's, we don't even know the name of this place, do we? It's the Swamp of Mystery. The Swamp of Mystery. That's, that's where we're at, the Swamp of Mystery, where you are taking pictures. Good. Yeah. So, how'd you get into this? Um, I always had an interest in nature photography but uh, I had a point-and-shoot camera I, the pictures I got were, were generally junk um, I got a year's subscription to um, masterclass mostly because of the, the there's some really amazing writing teachers like people like Neil Dean and Margaret Atwood actually doing writing courses so I signed up for that worked my way through all the writing stuff and then I started browsing what was left and uh, browsing all the miscellaneous stuff it's all it's also world-class instructors just uh, yeah. less interesting to me and I came across Jin Jimmy Chin teaches adventure photography nice and I had never heard of him but he's uh, he's this rock climber and he, he does things like clambers up the sides of mountains along with wood rock climbers and, and snaps pictures while he's there. He goes off to distant corners of the world and gets uh, mountaintop pictures and so on. Yet it's, it's a really amazing lifestyle he has. Yeah, I know. So I looked at that and I, I said, you know, I don't really want to do exactly what Jimmy Chin does. My, my knees are not up to it. I don't have rock climbing skills. I don't want to go talking to climbers and asking them if I can climb or whatever. I don't actually want to do exactly what he does, but I got to thinking that there's, I wouldn't mind doing my version of what he does. And part of it is that every every winter, I, I just I just hate the winter. I just like, I get sulky in the autumn and I'm just waiting for spring to come back. And I wanted something that would have me going outdoors, doing something that was interesting to me in the winter so that I'm not just spending the whole winter wishing it was spring already. Um, so I decided to uh, decided to try it. It took me a, took me a while to, to talk myself into it. I've got um, I've got attention deficit disorder. I've got a bad habit of picking up hobbies and immediately dropping them. Yeah. Um, so I uh, I bought the cheapest digital SLR I could find and the cheapest lens and barely spent any money. And then for a year I shot pictures constantly and I loved every minute of it. Um, I would call it wildlife photography primarily, but in practical terms, that that is mostly bird photography. And then uh, at the end of the first year, uh, I decided to upgrade my equipment because my equipment was junkies. Yeah, oh yeah, I get, I, I get you. But for the first year, it was just basically, okay, let's see if I really want to yes. do this. So at the end of the year, I realized I've yeah. been doing this constantly for 12 months, and I've been absolutely loving it. So it would be, it would just be ridiculous for me to be stingy you now and not spend some money every year. Yeah, no, I know. I, I totally understand. Uh, I, as I've been doing the podcast, like more and more and more and more, my business got better, 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 better. You invest in the stuff you love. You invest in. That's just the way it is. So, yeah, I'm appalled by how much I spent on this gear, no, which... Uh, I, I, I have an idea. My dad was a... My dad, in his early 30s, and was going to We used to have to turn it into, like, a living, right? So he was, he was buying these really expensive cameras. Back in the day, like, uh, I still remember, because I'll never let it forget, he actually had a Konica, like one of those old-school Konicas, which were real, they were really good cameras. I'm in that photography. I'm the one member of the family that doesn't do it very well. Um, which, Considering what I'm about to do, it's not kind of kind of blows. But um, it it's no man. Like photography is like really really like you shouldn't feel bad. I mean honestly, there's beautiful stuff out there. Like I'm, I'm probably gonna do a few shots from more time this just because wow. Like I mean it's cool that there's places like this in the city. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And I was oblivious to it for so long. Mm -hmm. 
squandered a decade of not doing this. Oh, absolutely. No, I... When I go to a sea, because I've lived in so many different places, I always, like, really explore it a little bit. You can't see, you can't see everything. Like, this is the first time I've seen this, and I, I'm much like you. I'm like, what did I do to prepare this stuff? But there's lots, of, there's so many treasures out there. It's really about finding which, the ones that are important. Oh, there's a family of grieves. There's baby grieves. Oh. Well, take a shot. Go right ahead. I don't blame you. Right yeah, go right ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I uh, let Brent do his thing. You should pull your camera over here. But yeah, I, I probably should. Yeah, hold on. Uh, here. So, where am I pulling? Okay. So, folks. I'm. Yes. I'm focusing in on this, folks, so you can see what I am seeing. She's going she just to. took the baby off her back so she could die. Yeah, yeah no, it, it's fun. I'm watching it. This is kind of fun. Now the baby's back on. That's hilarious. I'm not sure if the mom wants her on it or not. <laughs> Alrighty. Yes, folks. There's gonna be camera cuts on this one. You can tell. Now, got to adjust again. Sit down so you can frame the shot. Yeah, pretty much. Until the next time I get distracted. It's all good. Here. How's this look? Cool. So when you asked me where should we do this, I thought, well, let's, yeah, uh, let's do it here. We could go to a wetland and maybe it'll be like visually interesting for the interview. But what I, what I didn't say was, well, the problem will be keeping me in any way focused on the interview. Well, well, well dude, we, we, we can just we can just talk for passion. I mean, this this is this is for you. Like, you write for a living. Like, and I honestly, I'm trying to get. To Right? This is, this is, this is your hobby, right? There's no financial impediment for you to do this. This is purely fun. And I think that's actually a very important thing for any creative to actually do because I draw. I don't know if you've seen the drawings. I've seen the drawings, too. That, that there, I would say I'm confident. I've gotten to the point of confidence with my art, right? But not in depth, but I want to from good. That's not what it's about. It's about me having fun, not worrying about it, and I feel this is the same thing for you. I, I periodically have people suggest maybe you should maybe you should try to sell your photos or whatever, and it's, it's just like, I don't want to have this hobby that's so much fun, but it's so good for me. I don't want to turn it into work. I don't want to add layers of stress to it. Yep. Um, the weird thing is, so I post my pictures on Facebook and get all kinds of messages and comments from people saying that they really enjoy it and it's that's kind of what makes it worthwhile. It's weird to say that posting things on Facebook and getting getting people's reactions is is important to me, but it's it's what it's it's, it's the only way that I have to share my pictures and that's what makes it meaningful. So it's weirdly weird to say but posting stuff on Facebook and Getting reactions to it is, is actually a big, a big part of my hobby. But the main thing is coming out, and you know, essentially the process is pick a really beautiful spot, pick a really beautiful spot, sit down with your camera, and wait to see what comes along. Yeah. How can, what, what what hobby could be better? Than that? For I mean honestly, it's also actually you know the other thing that's really good. This is a really good video. You have ADD. This good way to build the muscles for patience and some degree concentration. Yes. Oh that pretty bird that kind of like this, the, the old ADD joke. But I mean, okay, what we just filmed with the mom in the swimming. That doesn't happen. That that's one of those like moments you're there and you caption if you're a photographer, those are what you live for. That's why you shoot hundreds if not thousands of shots. You'll shoot that much just to get one or two amazing shots, right? Capturing the life. Right, so it's a good patience, it's a good discipline thing, but it's also just for you. 
No, 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 no. Sometimes. I, 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 no, I, I, see, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not silly. I was trying to fail. The problem is when you go to a casino and you do that five minutes in, yeah. right? You're like, <laughs> you're like, well, shit, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> right? And, and, and so my, gra my grandmother's reaction, I never forgot my grandmother's reaction. She popped because I, like, I won. I really wish she made one. So you gotta gamble some more. It's like, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to. Well, okay. How about you put in another 20, 20 bucks, 20, 40 bucks? Again, I already won, so it's not like it's not a huge deal. Okay, twenty bucks isn't a big deal. I made that twenty bucks last an hour because I did not. I, I think I, I gambled forty more bucks. I lost that forty. I walked away because it was like, but I, but I, I was caught in that weird time of I won it so quickly. I yeah. to fail, but I couldn't fail because we just got here. Right? And it was just like, oh god. Okay. I gotta gamble a little bit more. So I played slots. I, I figured them out a little bit. I kind of like, but you're right. Like, that, that moment is what, they're, is what yeah. they're going for. But once you have that moment, that's, that's the addiction that's the thing. Yeah. Everything, that's right. The rest of that process is complete and total drudgery. My problem? Cards. I love playing cards. I get too aggressive. So I, I, I can't do it. I'm not sure enough to play Because <laughs> I'll start winning, I'll play good, and then I'll get really, really, really aggressive. Like, I, I, like, I find with me, limits are good. <coughs> limits are good for me. Yeah. Otherwise, I will lose it all. I love playing poker for chips. I love yeah. friendly home games with nothing on them, right? Mm -hmm. I enjoy that. I, playing for money just stresses me out and makes me miserable. But, uh, Playing for chips, I love it. That's oh, I love, it. I love stacking the chips. It is so fun because all you're doing is. Now, I'll play for a little money. Like for me, if it's 10, 20 bucks, I'm not going to worry about it. Right? Right? But, but, if, for me, it's like but when you're winning and you got this giant pile and you're just, you're just moving the stacks around and just watching the reaction from the rest of the table, it's, it, that, is a, you're, that, that is, I think, the truth. It's going to come through. It's going to be What's your game when you play? The, the small amount of poker that I've played is, uh, it was, what did they do in Casino Royale that made poker tricky for several years? Yeah, Texas Hold'em. Yeah. I played that for a while um, until I ran out of friends who had the interest in poker.
that on the same basis that I can see why that would be a struggle. It's just a game by design. Watch it. We had to move back into the, we moved into Brent's car because just as it, as you saw, it's going to be down for it. The video editing on this episode is going to be kind of wild because it's going to be like, so we started here, then we went here, then we went here. Lesson, a lesson in, uh, in, let's see here, we can get more of us in here. Ugh. 
Oh well, it is what it is. That's as good as it gets. Yeah, it's as good as it gets, I think. Nope. Yeah, it's as good as it gets. Unless we can slide it straight back. That's close. It's close, it's close, it's close. Uh, close enough. Close enough. I, I am envious of you being so tall and lanky for this particular part of the job. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here and we're doing our thing. So, yeah, we're talking about games. So, you like, uh, no, I, I'm a big video game guy. And one of the things I realized is the reason that I think video games are so popular is because it's everything we try to do in novels, right? We try to create an interactive experience. The thing is, video game games in particular create truly interactive experiences and the best ones create like a memorable impact on you that's why like we were talking like game of thrones game of thrones feels like the show because it feels like a political intrigue machinations you have objectives depending on what house you are in and it really feels you can feel the tension in the game as you play it and it feels so much like what the novels could have been do you think he ever is going to finish those uh couldn't say. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have said a couple of years ago, I would have said yes, but it's been a couple more years with no progress, so eh. I mean, we got the end of the story, kind of. I'm, I, I'm, I'm still a little mad about that last season. Yeah, I stopped. Uh, I Game of Thrones was too bleak for me. I read the first three novels, mm -hmm. and it got to a point where it was just. It was just getting horrible. I, there, I, one book ended with Brienne of Tarth having somebody chew a hole in her face, and that was just it. I was just done at that point. It was. Yeah, no, I, I got you. And I uh, watched the TV show for I think two whole episodes, and it was. I already knew what was happening, and I knew how much it was going to suck, and I just, I just decided to drop it. It's, uh, it's too damn bleak for me, and uh, so I, I haven't. I don't actually know how the TV show ended, although I've, I've heard a few things like, let's just roll back all the character progress and uh, what happened, George? Hey, 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 listen, you got paid, shrug. Right, I mean, that's how you gotta look at it, right? If you're gonna, if you're going to, um, um, and also considering, I mean, the, the I, I got the feeling, this is what I got the feeling with the last season is nobody wanted to do it, but the money was just too good. That was that was that was the impression, guys. Like nobody really wanted to be here, but it's a dumb truck of money, mm. so you don't say no to the dumb truck of money. That's my that's my guess. Now I respect the artistic achievement of Game of Thrones. Absolutely, absolutely no. It's uh, it, my, it, it's not to my tastes, but I was deeply impressed by what he did. And there's. He defied expectations in a way, Absolutely. in a way that was actually logical. It made sense. It really, I think, added a layer to what fantasy could be. Yeah. Much like you do, I have the same tendency. It's too bleak, right? I think it's too bleak for the genre as a general rule of thumb. I could be wrong saying that, but that's just my opinion. It's. I mean, clearly, it worked for an awful lot of people. It was wildly successful. So. I tend to think that there's nothing actually wrong with it. It's just my personal taste, because it seems very clear that uh, oh yeah that that he what he did worked for a hell of a lot of people. I read young adult fiction and Japanese light novels. I maybe I'm keeping things at a very 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 simple level, but that's where I'm at in my life right now. That's where I'm at in my life right now. So that that's that I'm good with that. Um, no. Uh, beyond that, I mean, if you don't mind my asking, how's the writing going with you? Oh, there's a good question. I, um, so I've gotten bogged down in stuff that I feel like I'm, I got, uh, so I'm doing this write for hire thing. It's, uh, technically not quite ghostwriting, but it's, it's, it's very, it's the next thing to, to ghostwriting for this company that, uh, um, they give me an outline. I write the novel with, uh, quite a bit of editorial feedback. So I'm getting near the end of that work, which is, um, on the one hand, it's been a growth opportunity because it takes me out of my comfort zone and it gets me writing um, in a way that it, it saves me from reaching for the same general plots and the same general events and characters that I find keep cropping up in my work. So it's been good that way. I've got editors really pushing back a lot, uh, which has made me grow a bit as a writer so I look at it as a good learning opportunity but um, 
the total number of hours that it's taking me compared to what I'm being paid has is, is got me... It, it isn't really not working for me. I'm not going to do this again, and, and, I'm, and I'm sick of it. So that's where I'm at. Lately, all my writing time is going, has been going into this Write for Hire thing, which, uh, you know, at first I looked at it, the, the amount of money they're offering, I, I could, it seemed decent for the, yeah, yeah. not princely, but, but perfectly decent, only it's taking far, far longer because I get the this huge editorial pushback where they say, no, we happen to sort of visualize it differently, so... We want you to change this and tweak this and modify this and on and on and on and on and on and it turns into this massive time sink. So, so it's not overall working out for me, but uh, it's getting to the end. So, but, but it, it was a learning experience. It was a chance to learn. You know, I wrote some books for very small presses where the amount of money that I made was trivial, but it was a chance to work with an editor. I, I felt like it was uh, instead of me paying an editor to edit my work, it was a chance to have actually have the editor pay me and, and to learn what I could learn from from working with a really good editor um, a chance to, to have that learning experience and actually get paid a small amount of money instead of me paying the editor so yeah so I look at some some of the things I do I look at is okay no this doesn't make a whole lot of economic sense but it it really it's that you pay that you pay to go to school I, so. I, I'm doing like a freelance like talk at when words collide right when I it's one of the hardest things I'm talking about is that balance of when it needs to be about the money yeah, and when it doesn't always have to be about the money, right? Yeah. Because it's, you work for a living, you write for a living, you have to take it seriously, you get paid for it, you have to. There, there, are, there are limits to what you can do. But every once in a while, like from a collaboration standpoint, like I'm working on, on a comic right now through a company, right, in the States. It's a collaboration, it's not paying me much but the thing about it is um it's someone i've wanted to work with right and i can do that once or twice mm -hmm. a year but it can only be once or twice so that's one of the things i've had to learn doing being a freelancer is your time is really valuable and you have to you have to you almost have you you're it, that's a big part of your job i found is that your bit is people are bidding for your time does that make sense yeah yeah, I found I'm 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 getting out from under this mountain of penny ante uh, penny ante contracts that I've taken on, <laughs> and uh, there's there's things that I want to do, things that I think I can make pay with my own writing that I but I need to clear aside all this client work that I I'm starting to regret taking on where I felt like I couldn't say no. It's that any amount of any amount of guaranteed money coming in was 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 something I needed to grab hold of and it'd be irresponsible not to, but but now I'm finding, yeah, no, I need to... Uh... There's a balance. Like, I, I do, uh, I make video commercials. Like, that's my primary thing I do for... Just gonna crack the windows a bit. No, wor no worries. The worst of the rain is past. Yes. It's still gonna be raining for a little bit, but yes. Ah. Uh, Rain's light enough. We can let some air through. Yes. <laughs> No, it it's the no, it's one of those hard little balancing axes. I've had to learn in the last three years. My time is valuable. I have to charge. I've learned how to charge a premium for things, which is something that I think a lot of creatives don't do. Mm -hmm. But I'm also now having to learn the balance of okay, what's create? What do I need to make money on? What's fun? And kind of find that border and boundary for myself. And try not to, like for me, like for, from a collaboration standpoint, I will do no more than two a year. Just because I find that anything more than that kills my time. Right? Do you have like hard and fast rules like that? No, it's very, I don't have enough, um, yeah, no, it's much more loosey-goosey with me. I remember when I was, uh, when I was a, a software trainer, I started out saying yes to everything. Yeah. And... That worked. That where at first I needed to get to I needed to, to get myself known and I needed to build my skill set. So I worked myself ragged and I, I whatever course came up I said sure, yeah, absolutely I can do that and then went home and studied and studied and prepped and prepped and studied and got myself ready to the point where when the day came to teach it, uh, I actually was ready. So I did that for a long time and it worked. I I, I ended up being the go to guy for a lot of companies where they said they, they knew that they could just call me and, and forget about it which is a very good position to be in. And 
the list of things I could teach was very long, and so they could basically just say, well, okay, we could we could try this, or we could try that, or we could just call Brent and he'll do it. Um, so that was that put me in a really good position for a long time. Uh, but I got to a point where eventually where I said, okay, now I've got a solid list of teachable skills. There's some stuff I'm gonna start dropping. I'm lousy with Microsoft Access. I don't teach it often enough to be practiced up. It doesn't tend to, I, I hate it. I, it soaks up all these hours of prep time. The course doesn't go as well as I would like. You know what? I'm just gonna say I'm not teaching Access anymore. I don't need to anymore. I've I've got enough uh, work mm -hmm. with, with other applications and, and other stuff that comes up. I'm gonna say, you know what? No, I'm making my, Excel's my bread and butter and there's some Word and some PowerPoint and I, I don't need to, take on this new thing that I've never taught before, that I've never even been approached to teach before, that I'll probably never be approached to teach again. I'm just going to say, no, I don't want to spend 30 hours prepping to teach the course and then teach it once and then never look at it again. And so I think there's, um, I think a lot of freelancers go through that pattern, which is a good one, which is you start off always saying yes, and then you get to a point where you eventually almost always say no. Yep. But uh, you can't start out saying, no, my standards are way up here, and I'm going to mostly say no, because you'll never work and you'll never, you'll never learn. So you have to start out saying yes, 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 and get to a point where you say, okay, yeah. now it's sustainable for me to start saying no, 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 and all of a sudden saying no becomes really important. I... I I'm gonna push back slightly because this is one thing. One thing I've I've learned there is a. You, I've learned how to say no, on a certain degree of price point because one of the things I realized really early on, is the more skin your client has in the game, the more they'll work with you. Mm. Right, right. And I realized this really really early. Now I'm with you. Like you don't really have you don't always have the same opportunities to say, no, especially in the beginning. But I, but what I what I've learned is I do a little balancing act with depending on my client, right? And this is when I realized to walk away from the client. Is the client appreciating what I'm doing for them? Mm. If the answer is no, because I, I look at it based on what they're paying me, their investment, and just certain little telltale signs, mm. I'll walk. Like I will walk from certain clients if, if I find those, those standards aren't met. I don't say no. I don't say necessarily no to a job. What I do say though is, okay, it has to be worth to some degree worth my while, yeah. right? And it also has to it also has to be. I know I'm getting there's a certain degree of respect, for lack of a better word, that has to come from the client at all times. It doesn't necessarily have to be the top dollar, but it has to be how you treat the people. Yeah, there is a balance there. Yeah, if you make them pay a lot, then you know that they value you, and you're going to get treated like they value you. Yeah, the thing about the teaching thing is that there was sort of a there was sort of a standard industry daily yep. rate and so the money issue didn't come into it. Nobody nobody was offering yep. any lousy pay for the teaching and so I could just say, yeah, yeah. do I want to do it or not because the pay isn't going to yeah. change. Because other, otherwise I agree with you, right? Yeah, every, every other kind of, uh, all my other clients, it's like, yeah, I needed to have held to them. I needed to have had a higher standard and said, no, this isn't, doesn't pay me enough to be worth my money be worth my time yeah that's what it comes like that that's the thing like that's what that was the very first lesson i learned actually doing freelancing is the more the skin in the game from the client is going to determine how much they value you and it's a i i think it's one of the most important lessons i've learned doing this so i try to do i'm i'm approach i'm trying to approach the quality over quantity of clients at this point yep. because it's just it's it, it's just saner. It's just, it's saner. I talked to a private investigator once. He said his firm was having a terrible time with uh, crummy clients. They paid late, they complained, they, they wanted so much. They, they all wanted a champagne investigation on a beer budget, was how he phrased it. What the company finally did, they doubled their rates. Yep. That was the only change they made. They doubled their rates. And what they found was they had the same number of clients, but the, they had but they had clients who paid promptly and gave them no grief and, and said, wow, that's great, thank you very much at yes. the end, and, and paid immediately and didn't give them any headaches. And all they did, the only change they made was they doubled their rates and their headaches plummeted and they had just as many clients. It's bizarre. No, no, no I, I raised my rates in my advertising business. I went from 600 to a grant. 
I got more clients. Huh. I did, right? It, it, it's I, weird how that works. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's the psychology of price. Yes, it's the perception. Psycho- I don't want $600 yeah. worth of, of, yeah. of advertising. I want $1,000 worth but, of advertising. Yeah, abso- absolutely, right? And, and I mean, now, with authors, now, with authors, the hilarious part is you're like, they need to advertise. And they're like, well, I don't want to advertise. And it causes this nice little, like, um, how do I put this feedback loop? Why don't my book sell? Because you don't advertise. But I don't want to advertise here we go. It's like circle, circle, circle. But one of the things I've learned, like, no, I raised my rates. I actually am debating about raising them again because I, I if, like, if I got that result raising it to here, what happens if I raise them just a little bit more? Hmm. Right? And and folks, it sounds really strange, but it's the truth. You you get, I've had clients from Europe and this, like my clients have been primarily from Europe and the States for the advertising, but yeah, it, it's been like, okay. It's like, how did that work? Um, and same thing, like I, when I produce shows for people, right? I, I'm do, I've done that for a couple different. I've done it for companies. I've done it for. I've done it for. I'm doing it for a client right now. When I'm done this job for the client, I'm raising the rates there too, because I've learned just the amount of work, hours, and effort. Mm-hmm. It's just like again, these these are things that you learn. This is part of your education on the job. You learn by doing. You don't learn from. Right, you learn by doing, you learn by proving yourself, and it's it's a very much a process. Don't disagree? Nope, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, so. Actually, do you do other services besides writing at this point? Yeah, I've been doing cover design and book layout and all the stuff that I had to do for myself um, as a self-published writer, I've, I now do on occasion for other people. I'm not really pursuing clients but there's people who know that I have these skills and, and call me up sometimes so I, I've reached a point where I'm no longer looking for business uh, but uh, but I do have I got past clients who, who will reach out to me and say can you, can you do this yep. um, so I'm happy to do it I, I like collaborating with my friends I kind of it tends to be for small amounts of money because I know these people and I know Generally, uh, like I've got friends who I, I know that their book is, I've got some idea of how much their book is going to earn. I don't want them to pay me more than they're going to ever make from their book. You know, it's like, and, and I get a huge amount of satisfaction. And it's different for, if it was some large corporation, I would say, yeah, here's here's what I here's what it would take for me to be interested in doing this amount, going through this amount of bother. Yeah. Uh, that that's that's something else. But collaborating with a friend, it's that can be like, one thing that I do for free is uh, is beta reading. Yeah. I, I will happily read other people's manuscripts and give them feedback that really, I, I they ought to be it ought it ought to be. It ought to cost a thousand bucks or so. I'm a good book doctor, yes. but I can't be bothered to try to build a business as a book doctor. And I find as I look back over the last few years, some of my fondest memories are of some of the some of the book analysis work that I've done that has uh, enriched things for, uh, you know, I've, I, 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 I get a huge, I'm just gonna turn your window back up because I see you're getting your arm like splashed. No, it's all, it's, it's all good. So, for example, I'm, I'm despite uh, having this sense that I've taken on too much and I need to do less unless it's really well paid, I'm, I'm currently doing a beta read for a friend of mine for, for nothing because I find that so satisfying. Yeah. And because it's a friend and, and if, of course I'm going to help out a friend and if it's something that I enjoy, yeah, I'm going to do something that I enjoy to help out a friend even though somebody else would do this for a large fee. Well, I know that this book is not going to bring in the dividends to pay a, a, a professional editor so I will I will do the the beta reading I'll do the editing and 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 I'll find that hugely satisfying yeah no that's cool I uh, I should actually probably send you I, I sent you a manuscript a few years back I remember, yeah. yeah it's definitely improved since you last saw it I, I, I learned a very I, I, I applied a tool that I should have applied years ago. So I had one of my beta readers basically. I'm about halfway through the novel now, right? I I, I sent it to one of my beta readers. She devoured the whole damn thing in a night. Hmm. So I'm like, I think I got something there. Thanks. Cool. Yeah. So writing is hard. Writing is 
to a huge degree, I think there's nothing else for it but to just invest time and time and more time. It's like there's people earlier, early in their writing process, they write stuff that cannot be salvaged. You cannot get the feedback you need to make it, to fix it, because you, you can't do that. It's, uh, you know, you, uh, you, you, you cannot give somebody who can't draw you can't spend three hours with them and, and turn out something, turn out a professional quality illustration no. if they don't have the drafting skills. It simply takes a long, long, long time and, and writing is like that and sometimes you just gotta say, okay, we can take your manuscript with a lot of work and a lot of feedback, we can take it from way down here to slightly higher, but you just gotta go spend a couple of years writing and writing and writing and writing before you're gonna hit something that's uh, it's professional quality. Well, I find it, it, it's understanding the actual importance of details. Because I, I mean, what I, like for example, when I started writing, I had like this big idea in my head. I'd put it down. Okay. Now the big idea in the head. What is now? Here's the thing. How do I want to tell the story? It's like one of the most important things to want it to be funny, curious, whatever. And and then I got to the point where it's like okay. How do I maximize this feeling I'm trying to create in the book? Like, how do I do it? And and it's it's about okay, how do I how do I? Play? It's almost like you're building a roller coaster, hmm. right? You're going you're, you're building up. I, I like wooden roller coasters. It's just it's just a personal preference. But then it goes down, up, and a little bit around. It it just does its thing. And and what happens and what happens is, right? If you do it right. Everybody gets a very satisfying experience reading the book. Like I said, my beta reader devoured like the first 15 chapters like that. It was like, damn. That was like 40,000 words. It was like, you, you did that in a night. Okay. So that's awesome. But the, the, thing, but the thing is, um, it took me a long time to figure out the specifics I needed to ask. I think, I think art is all about details. Like in my, more specifically, what do you care about? How do you want to tell it? And how, like, because I think no matter what book we write, we're writing our own stories. Something I again, this is one of these epiphany moments I've, I've had. And our jobs are to take out those aspects of ourselves and put those in the books in a way that, okay, yeah, you can use all the tropes and genre stuff you want, but there's a little bit of, the, of you that comes out in the book and that's the part that people will connect to. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That took me years to figure out. Yeah, that's... And it's one of those things you can tell a new writer that, but but it takes a long time for them to get it. Even yeah. if they believe you when you say it, to really translate that into the actual words on the page is... Uh, it just takes takes context, and the context requires writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. Yeah, like I said, I almost think I'm good. Well, well I think I'm actually, for me... I'm going. I'm going to for this particular book. I want to do it on Kickstarter. I'm actually doing. Give doing. I'm going to be. On, this is going on Patreon. Like that's where this is initially it's going to go, and then eventually this goes. And I'm the editing on this is going to be quite interesting. Let me tell you, considering where we started and everything else. But um. But uh, the thing. But the thing about it is, um, it like it's it's starting on Patreon. I'm going to do bonus for them. I'm going to do a Kickstarter bonus for them because, again, I the other thing I've noticed about the industry and where it's going and where it's and in one sense, I think that the one of the big things about the pandemic is it kind of brought back the value of dealing directly with your customers because one of the things we realized all these platforms and stuff like that could disappear like that one day. So I think we're still in that phase. So I'm trying to create kind of my own direct service my direct subscription for lack of a better term because I, that's it makes sense to me mm. even if let's say amazon blows up or going wide blows up or whatever the case may be right i've learned that right it's good to have a found like that solid foundation of that direct access because only then um do i think i do i think you're 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 for lack of a better term secure mm. Yeah. It's scary how uh, scary how the foundations for a business can vanish. Yeah, like that, right? So you gotta kind of build your own fundamentals, right? And and like it or not, we're a business.
So, before we wrap up, so yeah, have you? But so, now as you work for higher stuff's done, are you going to go back to? Yeah. So I've got two other irons in the fire. I mean, I've, I've got. I'm, I have. I'm constantly fighting the impulse to go in ten directions at once. It's that's just an. It's just my personal perpetual battle. So I'm. I'm working on my Green Zone War military science fiction series. It. Uh, there's a long hiatus, but I just released uh, I just released book six in the series uh, a couple of months ago, and so there's going to be uh, I, I need to conclude that series, and and it's a I mean I say I need to I also I get to it's it's a fun series that I really enjoy, so that's one thing that I have that that that's ahead of me is working on that series, and um, and then I'm also looking at I wrote a domestic thriller that turned out quite well in all modesty and I want to look at writing one or two more books like that I, I want to have I don't want to release a book and have it be the only thing in that genre that I've got in case it sells really well there's nowhere to direct and there's nowhere else to direct readers to so I want to have at least two books to release roughly together so that if somebody is really excited about one book they've got something else they can pick up immediately it seems wasteful to not do it that way just in case just in case uh, it takes off so I want to work on my second domestic thriller I've got some some ideas that, that feel fairly strong to me and and then release both of those books so that's the two things like I've got this quite solid manuscript that's just sitting there because I don't want to release it prematurely um, so that's the two things that uh, that are coming up next on the agenda okay so, which do you like more? Which, uh, which, which of your, which of your parents or which of your kids do you like more? It's I, I don't know. Uh, Sarah, I, th I think it's Pratt now, not Johnson, right? Right? She has a, she sometimes jokes to me like sometimes you like one kid more than the other in the moment. Yeah, right? you don't, you don't admit to it, but yeah. Yeah, you, you do, you do. Like, like it, it, it changes. It doesn't. It's not always. It, it, she says it's a very fluid thing. You love them all, but. But? but, but there are moments where one's your favorite, and you're just like, okay, that's that's an honest, that's an honest, uh, uh, that is probably the most honest thing, I, one of the most honest things I've heard from her, and it's just like, um, not that she's one to mince words. Oh no, she doesn't. No, she doesn't mince words at all. But I, I thought that like that was a very candid, honest look at parenting in a way I've never heard before. Mm -hmm. right? Most parents go, oh, I love both my children eagerly. And she's like, no, I do, but sometimes... Like, well, everybody knows that you that, that you have a favorite child, and everybody knows that you can never admit that. Yes. That's, that's an absolute rule. I, Anyhow, I, my heart's in science fiction adventure is where my heart is, so um, that's... Uh, if I had to pick a favorite, it would be the, uh, the military science fiction. Okay. So... Uh, I'm gonna go tell tales out of school. He actually, Brent actually gave me some really cool like pulps books. I'm actually very curious. Do you think? I have a theory, kind of, kind of, sort of that we're kind of gone with the way books have kind of gone in the last little bit. We're almost in one sense. I kind of feel like there's almost an, there's room for almost kind of like a pulp, not like a pulp like style style, but a pulp presentation with all the books now because I think I've noticed that there's a lot. There's a lot more shorter books now than there used to be, right? With the Kindlevellas, all that other stuff. Like, do you think, like, do you think, in one sense, we've kind of gone full circle in the sense that, like, remember the old like Doc Savage's Tarzans? They're short novels. They're very short novels. We've almost kind of gone back to that, I think, in some ways. Okay, here's my take. Here's my somewhat arbitrary take on it. Yeah, I think that to a very large degree. The market niche taken by the pulps in the 20s and 30s is now occupied by television. Yes. I think that is our lowest common denominator mass entertainment to a large degree. I think that I think that the people who primarily were buying the pulps back in the day aren't buying books now. I yeah. think they're sitting I think they're watching TV. Yeah. Um, I think that the only reason they were reading books then was because that was the easiest to consume entertainment that was available, and now there's something even easier to consume, which is television. That's, that's my take yeah. on it. I think that, to a large degree, t 
at the same time, to, to some extent, just within the realm of books, I think that self-publishing has kind of been the equivalent of the pulp boom of a hundred years ago, uh, because you've got stuff that, uh, the pulps, the pulps of a hundred years ago, they're, they're not good enough for modern publishers. You know, there's a lot of problems with those stories. There's, there's a lot of issues with a lot of those stories. There's some really great stuff in there, but there's a, to a large degree, it's, it's very undiscerning. And it wouldn't pass muster with most modern publishers. And what we've got now is self-published books that have a lot of brilliant elements and are very entertaining and grab their audience, but would never, ever find a traditional publisher. Yeah. Um, stuff that has a voracious, enthusiastic readership. Stuff that really does have many strengths and a lot going for it. Stuff that does not fit what a modern, traditional publisher would ever, ever, ever buy. Um, billionaire romance, werewolf, whatever. There's so there's all these different niches where there's writers who are readers in that niche, who understand that niche, understand the readers. They're writing stuff that a traditional publisher would turn their nose up at, even though it is feeding that exact precise niche audience in a way that they absolutely love and the books are selling really well and and people are loving them so to some degree to some degree modern self-published novels are filling that same market niche that the pulps filled back then where it's not good enough for the slicks slick magazines uh but it's good enough for an awful lot of people to pick it up for a, for a, for a nickel or a dime so we've got that with we got that now with self-published books I think that now, from what I've seen with looking at uh, looking at Kalytics, which does uh, market uh, market analysis of what's selling on what really is selling on Amazon and what isn't, uh, short fiction is not selling outside of erotica. It just isn't. It really isn't. If you've if you if your choice is to write one novel of a hundred thousand words or ten short stories of ten thousand words, your ten short stories will never will not. In the vast majority of cases, your ten short stories all put together will sell significantly less than your one novel. It's just, you get the impression that there's more short stories out there, but the sales are not there for, they really are not there for short works. If you look at exactly what is and isn't selling on Amazon, short works do not sell. They really don't sell. There are exceptions, yes. Yeah. But generally speaking, the overall map market trend is absolutely unmistakable. Uh, the short works don't sell outside of erotica. Yeah, no, it's fair. I just, I just, I want to get your take on it because you, you've done very well for yourself, like carving your own niche and doing out some other things, right? And so you have a definite insight that even someone like me, who interviewed tons of people, you know. So very cool. Do you think publishing is decentralized? Yes, that's the short answer. Yes. I mean, compared to like traditional publishing of 15 years ago? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. And it's, um, you know, Amazon gave us a way to just skip the middleman and, and have a much more direct, I mean, Amazon is a middleman, but really to, to a very large degree, yeah, you've got much, a much more direct author reader connection and authors writing directly for that niche market without having to persuade an editor that it's the way to go. Yeah. Not to say that again, I, I, I don't know. I'm weird because I think, I think the big traditional houses, I think like the metal traditional houses are still thriving, are doing wonderful stuff. I don't know, but again, but I, I will just say this to the traditional publishing, like it's a model that works. There's nines that are reaching still. Yep. So you can't you can't fault whatever choices they're making, dude. They got they're doing what's best for them, and the authors are doing what's best for themselves too. So, and for everybody, that's a little bit different. So, yeah, I'm not a uh, I'm not a self publishing evangelist. Like there's people who are deeply emotionally invested in the idea of how awful traditional publishing is and what di- ridiculous dinosaurs they are. And I'm I'm not in that camp, but uh, but certainly I've I've done. Ver- I've had a lot of success at self-publishing. Well, yeah, no, it, it's 
what I, what I mean, I, you don't need to be an evangelist. It's just like, it's understand. I, I think what I think, this is just, this is just where I sit at this. I don't have any illusions with any of the options. I consider Kickstarter a slightly different option than traditional indie because it's, it's a different audience. Yeah. Right. It's a different audience. So it's, it doesn't work quite the same way, but whatever you choose, everything has its pros and its cons. Traditional publishing has its pros and its cons, right? There's some great things that come from it. There's some great books that are done yeah. all over the place. They're wonderful. At the same time, it may not be what you expect it to be when you're there. And publishing is the same way. You do it yourself. There's a lot of freedom there, but there's also a lot of work there, right? There's pros and there's cons. Kickstarter, same thing. It's a subscription model, for lack of a better term, right? It's a, right? appealing to a collector's audience. So the pros are, it's a very dedicated audience. The cons are, if you have nothing they're interested in, you're never going to get funded. So there's, there, I just think that, like, I just think today that you have to be aware of the options that exist, but you also have to, I also, I, I, I don't think you necessarily want to be an evangelist. I think your lens may be fogging a bit, so I'm going to reopen your window. Yeah. I know, I keep interrupting you to open the window. No, it's all, it's all good. I, 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 I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm really, really fine so with it. We're looking, looking a bit misty in yeah, here. It, yeah, it's a mi well, yes, and it was raining and, you know, I'm it, hoping that the mist. I'm hoping that the fog is on the screen we're looking at and not on the lens. I, so if it's if the fog's on the screen, then the audience has no idea what I'm going on about. Oh, yeah, yeah. If the fog's on the lens, then they're like, oh, whatever. Yeah, finally you noticed. Yeah, no, I just, folks, it it, it, it literally like we literally we expected dry weather. We expected we expected baking sun. Yes. Anyhow. Yeah. Uh huh. No. Okay, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> Live in the air. No, I just like I said. I, I just think I just think from a, from an author standpoint, it's under not there's. It is what it is. There's nothing again. Whatever choice you make, I this is where I'm at. It's like whatever choice you make is your choice, but be honest about what you want, what you're hoping to get out of wherever you choose to go, hmm. and be honest with yourself whether or not you're getting those things. And if you do that. There's no wrong path. Words to close on. Yes, they are. You should plug. Okay, so you got plugged what you just released. You should do that and how people can find you. All right, so um, if you want to look for uh, good military science fiction, I write under the pen name Jake Elwood. Um, the uh, Green Zone War series is uh, currently at six books and probably three more books coming. And I'm, I'm picking up the pace a bit. There was a huge gap after book five, but uh, picking up the pace now with uh, from book six onward. So look for that. Um, at, uh, that's currently exclusive to Amazon. If you're a writer, look for Writing Better Fiction, edited by Brent Nichols. That's a fundraiser for the uh, annual short story contest. If you're a kid and you live in Alberta or the Northwest Territories, enter the uh, In Places Between uh, annual short story contest. All right, and that will do it for this episode of Just Joshing on Patreon. This will eventually hit YouTube as well. For everybody watching, everybody listening, thank you for watching, thank you for listening. Stay inspired, keep shining in the dark, and I'll see you guys next time. Starting with episode 1011, the, the Twitch era of the Just Joshing podcast is officially over. We are now in the midst of a transformation to a travel show, the Twitch travel era. 1011 is my first travel show. Barb Sim is my guest, so it's going to be a variety of these things. Now, if you want to see all the travel episodes well before they ever come out as officially part of canon on the show, check out patreon.com slash justjoshingdiecast. Five bucks gets you access to all the interviews up there so far. There's a bunch of them up there that are going to be coming real soon. More are going up there right now, including SDCC. So if you are interested in supporting the podcast, the best way to do it, if you got a couple bucks, go to patreon.com slash Josh Josh. Josh.